It's summertime. Last week, I was in Big Kids for the first time in a long time. I survived. I'm here. I'm standing. Um, that's a testament to God's grace. And uh, no, nah, I mean, our kids are awesome. We were talking about Nebuchadnezzar's dream last week. And so I was asking all these five-year-olds if they dream, and they said yes. And I said, what do you dream about? And uh, you should ask your kids what they dream about. They're, I don't know if they're really creative or they actually have some crazy dreams. So um, anyway, <clears throat> welcome to Ville Church. We are in the middle of a summer series. It's called um, Something Different. Something Different. Um, what's the tagline? Y'all remember? There's got to be more to life. There's got to be more life than what we see and what we do. Because there's so many dead ends. We're like, is this it? Is this all there is? Um, so today, something I want to talk about, and there's something different, is, well, I'm not even going to tell you what I'm going to talk about yet. Because I've been not preaching for about three weeks, and I saw this movie, and it's just been lingering in my mind, and it kind of promoted me to even begin this sermon. Um, it's a movie called Silence. Has anyone seen this movie? I see one guy, Mafu, nodding his head, slow nod. I know what you're talking about. You saw it? Yeah, so it's a movie. How to explain? I got to explain this really quick because we have a lot of stuff to cover. Um, it's a movie about two Jesuit priests in the 1600s, right? So Jesuit priests or Catholic priests that their mentor went to Japan. They're from Portugal. He went to Japan to uh, be a missionary to the people of Japan in the 1600s. Um, in Japan around the time, started seeing a bunch of people become Christians. Like 300,000 people became Christians in Japan. And then all of a sudden, the government's like, we don't like this. And they just started killing all the Christians in Japan. They killed all the Christians in Japan. And they started killing all the priests and the missionaries in Japan. Um, but then they realized there was this problem. Every time they killed the missionary and the priests, the church actually got stronger and got more converts, which was a crazy deal. So... The whole basis of this film, and I don't want to tell you everything because I hate it when people give away a film, um, but the two people's mentor in Japan, they hear that he apostatized. He, he, he says, I'm not a Christian anymore, and he just becomes a Japanese citizen. And they're like, not Father Rodriguez or whatever his name was. He would never, like he had the strongest faith of anybody. So they actually go to Japan and see for themselves what happened, and this whole thing plays out. And it, what's crazy about the movie is it's pretty historically accurate. And you just see the persecution that Christians in Japan went through in the 1600s, and it's like, whoa. I mean, it is jarring, to say the least. Um, but the movie's called Silence, because in the midst of all this tragedy, one of the priests keeps praying and praying to silence. And... You know, a movie's good when it, when it obviously lingers with you. Like, if you say if a movie's good or bad, it means if I walk out the theater and I'm still thinking about it, then that means it's a good movie. It stays with you. Um, but silence made me ask a lot of questions because it's a really challenging movie to watch. But the thing it had me thinking about the most is, is this. What do you do when you don't hear from God? When your prayers are actually met with silence. I mean, what do y'all do when that happens? When y'all pray for something and nothing happens? 
It's just silence. It's a pretty scary thing, right? And we've all, we've all experienced it before. And for myself, I've been thinking about, like, I have a variety of actions that happen when I pray and it's, it's met with silence. So I'll, I'll try and figure out the answer myself. I'm like, oh, whatever, I'm going to just do something, figure it out myself. Or, or I'm going to do this whole thing where I, like, act first, repent later if needed, you know. Um, or, you know, I'll start to wonder, I'm like, okay, is God being silent or is he even there at all? Is, is God even exist? Does he even hear anything? Um, is he there? Or I start to ignore God because I feel ignored. Like, I'm just moving on. I'm like, okay, well, if you don't want to hear me, I'm not going to hear you. Um, or, or I start to complain about God to God who might not be there uh, for not hearing me. So I'm, I'm complaining to other people about God that, like, God won't hear my prayer. Um, the last one, complaining about God because he doesn't hear me, is actually what we're going to be reading about today in the Bible. Um, it's about how God's people were feeling in Isaiah 40. I preached on Isaiah uh, a few weeks ago, and I've just been in Isaiah. It's a, it's a crazy book, and a, he's a really interesting prophet for a lot of reasons. But in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is declaring to the Jews for 39 chapters. Think about that. That's a lot of words and a lot of sentences. He's declaring to the Jews that they would receive severe judgment and punishment for their sins. And he pleads with them at the very beginning. This is what he pleads. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil. He's speaking for God here. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil. And he goes on for 39 chapters. Like, if you don't, this is what's going to happen. And that what all he said was going to happen actually happened. Uh, they got invaded. Uh, things were destroyed. They were exiled. And now they're living in Babylon. Y'all remember me talking about that a few weeks ago? They're living in Babylon. Um, <clears throat> but Isaiah 40 marks a, a huge break in the text. And it rolls along and the narrative changed because the prophet Isaiah starts saying, not judgment, but actually he starts comforting uh, the Jews, who are now in exile. Um, by this time, he's addressing the Jewish exiles in Babylon ca- captivity. So they've been, they've been driven from their homeland, right? They're under this foreign, godless power, serving as minorities to the most powerful nation in the world. Can anyone relate to that? Okay? Driven from their homeland, under a foreign, godless power, serving as minorities in the most powerful nation in the world. They're tired, they're confused, they're at the end of their rope. Um, They're having a hard time believing that God actually cares for them, Uh, that he's listening, that he's the redeemer, the rescuer. So totally dejected, this is what they whimper in Isaiah 40. They say, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. What they're saying is God doesn't care about us anymore. He has removed himself from us. He's cut us off. He's ignoring us. Um, They're looking at their circumstances, obviously these hard circumstances that they're in. And when they look at them, they're saying, like, God is silent because he will not hear us or see our struggles, and he rejects us as his own people because that's the only way 
reason we can think why we're here. Um, and I know people in this room actually feel the same way. People in this room today feel the same way. From, from broken down cars to, to broken down bodies to broken down relationships, um, it's really easy to let our circumstances define us, right? And someone defines circumstances as this, those nasty things you see when you take your eyes off God. So when we take our eyes off God, when we're only looking outward or inward to ourselves and not upward to God, we pity ourselves because there's a lot to be pitied. And so we take the initiative, we pity ourselves, and we declare, God doesn't care about me in the miserable state I'm in. He does not care because look at the situation I'm in. Look at these circumstances. Why am I still dealing with the same sin? We pity ourselves. And the thing is, when you look... um, when you look at God through your circumstances, so imagine you have your circumstances glasses on and you're looking at God, God seems very small and really far away. But here's something different that we actually desperately need. If you look by faith, um, if you're looking at your circumstances through faith by God, well, he will draw very near and revere he will draw very near and reveal his greatness to you. So here's the two things. You either look at your circumstances and see God as this distant, faraway thing, or you look at God and then you see your circumstances as a way to draw very near to him and see his greatness. So these are the two differences, all right? So the, the point is this. God is not looking to immediately change the circumstances of Israel and exile. He's waiting and he's silent. Because he is looking to change Israel in exile. His point isn't to make your circumstances better. His point is actually to change you. So he sent the Jews into exile for the purpose of spiritual reformation, to to make them whole, to make them new. He sends us into exile to shape us, to change us, to conform us to his image. So... The whole thing that um, Israel was saying, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by God. Here is God's response through Isaiah to the accusation from his own people that God is unsympathetic and ignorant of our struggles. That's what he says. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings of eagles and they will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not be faint. Mic drop. I'm not going to do that. So Isaiah threw um, God, just, just mic dropped all the juice. So the part of this response that I want to focus on today is actually verse 31. And mainly, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? What does that mean to wait on the Lord? Well, I think we should start off by saying what it doesn't mean. 
This is what it doesn't mean. Waiting on the Lord does not mean that we sit around and do nothing. That's not waiting on the Lord. It it doesn't mean lying around saying like, well, I'm going to wait on the Lord, and if he wants to do something, he'll do it. I'm putting all the emphasis on God and him doing it. I have no responsibility. I'm going to wait. Waiting on the Lord is not letting go and letting God. Because that's just a way of saying, hey, it's on God. God's going to do what he does, so I'm just going to sit back and just see what happens. That's not what's happening here. It's an, act, it's an active pursuit. Waiting on the Lord is attentively waiting for God to give you something, but your ears are open, your eyes are looking to see what is God going to do. Waiting intently and intensely for God, hoping and looking to God for everything we need. That's what waiting on, the Lord, or waiting on God is like. So waiting on God is an attitude of trusting and hoping in him. In the sky, John Calvin said this, patience is the fruit and proof of faith. That is the fruit and proof of faith. If that's true, which I definitely think it is, there's not a lot of fruit or proof of faith in our society today. There's, there's, there's not, because no one actually likes to wait. Nobody waits. No one likes to wait in line. We don't like to wait for our cell phone service to come back in. We don't like to be, wait for our food to be served. We don't like to wait for the right one. We don't like to wait for our baby to stop crying. We don't like to wait for someone else to see how they hurt you and apologize for it. And on and on and on it goes. We hate waiting. We hate waiting. And we hate it because we have to admit to ourselves that there is nothing that we can do at that very moment to get what we want or what we need. We just have to give it up and wait. And nobody likes that. And by no one likes it, we actually hate it. I think it has to be said. We hate waiting. Everyone hates waiting. So, we hate waiting. (laughs) Um, We hate not being in control. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it really is. We hate not being in control. And to wait means it's out of our control. We can't do anything more. Now we just have to literally wait. And the thing is, we like to pretend that we are in control. But the reality is, by our own strength, we are barely hanging on. We are barely making ends meet. We are barely, we are barely surviving by our own strength. Because when it says this in verse 30, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. What it's saying is even the people with the most strength, the most energy, they grow tired and weary. The, the, the best, strongest people we got stumble and fall. And if they do, then I'm definitely going to. Because at the end of the day, we are weak and frail. I mean, If you've ever been out in nature, you know this. Like, the ocean will swallow you up in a millisecond. The canyons, the wild animals, we are weak and frail. And we put all of our energy towards pretending not to be. That's where we we put most of our energy saying, like, I got this. I'm strong. I can do it. I pump myself up. I'm the man. But we're lying. 
because we're weak and frail. I think Jay said before, like the Bible says we're worms. Who in here wants to have their mascot be the worms? Nobody. But that's the fact. We are worms. So every single human grows tired and weary. They stumble and fall under the weight of this broken world. And we try and hold it up and shape it by our own strength. And we all know this to be true because at the times that we are most honest, all we can do is cry out to God for help. At our most honest moments, we are on our knees being like, God, I can't do it. I'm not that strong. I can't do this. So when we pray, when we knock at the door of our Father's house, we wait until the Father answers. It says this in Proverbs, Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting in my doorway. Yet, this is how we pray. We knock on the door, and we really ding-dong ditch. Y'all know that? Y'all heard ding-dong ditch? Billy Madison ruined my generation. Um, But it's basically, you ring the doorbell, and you you bounce as fast as you can, and you hide, and you see them come out and looking for someone. Then when they go back in, you ring the doorbell again, hide in the bushes, and they come out each each time getting more and more progressively mad, cussing. It's really funny. Um, You should try it sometime if you're under 18 and can't get arrested. Anyway, so, um, look, even the youths grow tired, but that I never grew tired of. Um, so what am I saying here? We, we will knock and we will run away immediately if God does not answer quickly. We do not want to knock and wait for God. And as believers whose hope is in Jesus, when we knock, we can wait expectantly that God will answer in his perfect timing. We don't get to decide when God answers. We actually, luckily for us, get to wait on him to answer in his perfect timing because he knows all things, right? So I just want us to think about that. When we pray, there's three answers to every prayer. Three potential answers. Yes, no, wait. Yes, no, or wait. That's the answer to any prayer we pray. And we totally get the yes or no's because at least that's a definitive answer. We're like, okay, no, so I'm going to pray for something new. Yes, great, let's answer it, let's do it. But when we hear wait, it's like, we don't, we need an answer. Why would we wait? We love making our own decisions. So help us, God. Give us the answer now. We don't want to wait. So personally, I think, the reason many of us are stressed, overwhelmed, burnt out, is because we're doing things that God has never assigned us to do. We are doing things God has never assigned us to do. And the reason we're doing things that he hasn't assigned us is because we don't listen to God and we don't wait for the Lord. We just keep moving quickly, moving, making ends meet, keep going. And we're not waiting actively seeking out God, saying, God, please show me. So we, we busy ourselves, right? We, we chase our idols when we don't hear the answer. We, we, we follow false gods, and it leads us into chaos. It happens all the time. It leads us into our chaos, and when things get too, too chaotic, our strength, like, it fails. And then what do we do? We plead with God for his strength. 
So we're doing things we weren't supposed to. And then because we're, we're following things, we're not waiting on God, we're making our own decisions, we're going to do it. And then things get too chaotic, our, our strength it fails. And then we're pleading with God, God, give me strength, please, I can't do this. But let me ask, let's, let me ask you all this. Why would God give his strength to do things that serve ourselves and the devil's purposes? If we're not waiting on the Lord and we're doing our own thing and it fails, why would, and we're begging God, why would God give us strength to continue in doing things that serve ourselves or the devil's purposes? God's kindness towards us is withholding his strength so we actually burn out that we tire of doing things that don't actually serve him. It's amazing, like, that he would lovingly withhold it so that when we are weak and weary at our desperate time, actually turning to God to serve him, he supplies us with all of his strength to keep going. Because this is the truth. Waiting for an answer to prayer is often part of the answer. The yes or no is helpful, but the waiting actually is part of the answer. And why is waiting good? Because one, it tries our faith. It helps us to exercise patience. It, it trains us to submit to what God wants and not what we want. And lastly, it helps us actually more fully celebrate when bless, or the blessing when it comes. So when he does finally answer the prayer, we are so much more joyful. I mean, you can think about it as kids. When Christmas Day was coming, nobody wants to wait for Christmas. It's terrible. I'm like, Mom, how many more days? And she's like, 364 days, Jeremy. I'm like, oh, come on. I can't wait that long. But then Christmas Day comes, and I'm so pumped. I'm so excited. And the same thing can be said about graduating school. When you're in the midst of school, you're like, this is never going to end. I made a terrible mistake, but I'm too far into debt, so I can't get out of it. I just need to graduate. God help me. And the day comes graduation, and you're just like, we did it. Mama, we did it. Um, you know, and so on and so on. Your wedding day, all this stuff, it's just Waiting, if you actually wait, you actually get to enjoy and celebrate the blessing when it comes. Because when God arrives on the scene with his redemptive power, the response of those who have been waiting on him is pure, unadulterated joy. It is dancing and singing. Christmas Day, graduating, wedding, those are all great things. But nothing compares to when God arrives on the scene in his timing after we have been waiting and waiting at the door and he answers a prayer. Nothing compares to that. And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Waiting is an amazing gift. It's an amazing gift. And when you wait for God, he renews your strength. This is his promise. If you wait for him, if you seek him, he will renew your strength. So what do people who have their strength renewed by God look like? We're going to go right through here. God's going to let us know. 
They will mount up on wings like eagles. Who in here has been a Christian over six months? Anybody? You've definitely heard this phrase then. Because this is a classic Christian phrase, right? They will mount up on wings like eagles. But who in the world knows what that means? Not me. I have no idea. So do we have any eagle experts in the house? You do? Six years. Okay. All right. I'm going to let you preach next week. Um, I don't know much about eagles, but I, I looked it up because I'm like, what, what does this mean, right? So as birds go, as birds go, eagles' wings are very big, but their muscles to flap are extremely small. This is interesting. So y'all have seen eagles before, amazing wings, huge feathers, but their muscles are actually super small. So they're not that powerful at all. Like a hummingbird pound for pound would destroy an eagle any day of the week. So the strength of an eagle is actually not their flying, but their soaring. This is where eagles are super strong. So you can imagine in Isaiah's day, he's He's in an area where he can see a canyon. He sees an eagle perched up at the top, just waiting for the winds to be just right. And then all of a sudden, it just falls off. And it doesn't put his wings out. It actually puts his wings to the side. And like a rocket, it's flying fast, right? And then at the perfect time, it hits this thermal wind that rises up, kind of like this. And they're everywhere. This is how people hang glide across the country. Because they just go up, float to the next one, go up, float to the next one. Same thing with an eagle. They recognize this, so when they're at the peak point, spread their wings, and they just soar. They don't flap. They just soar, get up to the top, and just keep soaring. Why is that important? It's because it's a great picture of what it looks like to wait on God. Through no strength of our own, through no strength of our own, we actually cast ourselves upon God. We fall into his mercy And then we rise up on his promises. This is what that is. Our strength comes from trusting as we fall and then soaring, not by flapping and working hard. That's that's what is amazing about eagles. It's not about how much we can actually do it. I'm about to do the chicken dance. But it's more about do we trust that God will catch us when we fall, lift us to the heights above the mist and darkness into his radiant sunshine and his presence only by his own strength nothing by ourselves we just we just fall on him knowing that he'll catch us they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not be faint these three examples are laid out in an interesting order to me Um, it goes from flying to running to walking Um, it seems kind of uh, anticlimactic, right? Like boring old walking is the final thing. Um, I feel like it should start off with walking and proceed into flying because if you ever want a superpower and you don't say flying, you're lying to yourself. So flying is the amazing thing. Walking is the boring thing. But I'm not God and God's way smarter than me. So this is what he's saying. Walking in the strength of the Lord is the most advanced spiritual exercise. It's the most advanced spiritual exercise. You see, there's moments in our life where we feel like we're soaring, and we all have them. 
that we just feel on top of the world. When we become a Christian, when we get baptized, when we go on a mission trip to Africa like Phil, when uh, we reconcile with a family member where there's been a long dispute and a long uh, chain of pain and brokenness, and it finally reconciles itself. Like, we just feel so close to God. Like, it's an amazing, amazing experience. Other times, and probably more frequently, we feel like we're running, that we've, we've hit some sort of stride, that we're moving and grooving in life, and we're picking up some steam, and we feel good. But most of life, we're actually just walking. And the way we walk is, what we, is the way we live our day-to-day, moment-by-moment lives. It's, it's not glamorous. It's not fancy. It doesn't get much attention. And it's not Instagram-worthy, no matter how you filter it or angle your camera. It's just the mundaneness of life. And that's the biggest part of life, right? But the way we wait on the Lord as we invite him to give us strength to put one foot in front of the other to go through any circumstance, any trial, any burden, and any journey he calls us on, that is when the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith, draws us near to the Father, and brings us peace, contentment, and joy in the day-to-day of life. To live in faithful dependence on the Lord, step-by-step, is the greatest accomplishment of all of any Christian. I don't care if you're Billy Graham or someone in South Malaysia on a farm. The daily dependence, faithful dependence on the Lord to provide you what he's gonna provide you, strength and everything you need is the greatest accomplishment for any Christian. So like I admire personally every young college student that comes to our church, I really do. Their, Their zeal, and enthusiasm, it's amazing, and it's encouraging, and you have all my respect. Um, The only thing to me that's more beautiful than actually a a young, enthusiastic new Christian is is an old, faithful one. I mean, and the reason that is, is because to see an old believer who has crossed many a valley, who has endured many burdens, who has has come through the heat of the desert treks in their life, and yet they're still marching boldly and bravely, even though their step has slowed down a little bit. I mean, those are the real heroes. Those are the real superstars. Those are the real celebrities we actually should be following, not these fake celebrities. Those are the ones that we should be gleaning and learning from. Like, how did you do it? When it gets above 95 degrees, I want to go home. And you've been through the desert and back. How did you do it? And, and they're the ones that define growing old as a, as a great blessing because you get to keep growing closer and closer to God. That's the amazing part. Our society says being young is the thing, and if you're not young, your life's over. And God's like, no, when you get older, you, you draw closer and closer to me. You know me even more. And that's the beautiful thing. Young people don't even get it. They don't get anything. We don't. But then you see someone who's in their 70s, 
still going and still trusting in the Lord after all the things they've seen and experienced? I mean, those are the celebrities. So let's go back to my original question. What do you do when you don't hear from God and when your prayers are met with silence? That's the question. You keep waiting, attentive and eager, knowing that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. You know, this week specifically, as I was reading through this and thinking through it and praying through it, I felt myself really waiting on the Lord. And do you know what happened? I felt so much peace, more peace than I felt in a long time. And that's the truth. Why is that? Because my burdens actually feel lighter when I hand them off to God to carry my burdens for me. My ego feels lesser when I stop trying to fix everything in my own strength. The issues in my marriage, the issues with my kids, the issues in this church, the issues with my friends. I continually, with my own strength, think I can do it. And I keep charging, going hard. And it only hurts people. Because it's my ego that's driving that. And my eyes have actually turned upward as I wait to see how God, through his power and might, will intervene. Because he promises that he will. You know, God takes us to Babylon. He takes us to places where we feel hopeless, where we don't feel like we have any more strength to give so that we will recognize our weakness and actively wait and hope on the Lord. This is how he forms men and women who are spiritually strong, because they're not strong. God gives them his strength. This is how God is forming you and me into the man and woman he wants us to be. So if you're tired of the pressure, if you're tired of your pace of life, if you're tired of your workplace, your living arrangement, uh, if you're tired of living under the weight of expectations, if you're tired of being single, if you're tired of being married, if you're tired of your fears, feeling trapped, zapped of energy, if you feel weak and weary, every one of you can give thanks today because you are a prime candidate for God's strength. Today, right now. That's the amazing news. And so as you, as you wait, Right now, in silence, right? We're, we're quiet here now. We're listening. I want you to think about this. Well, maybe not. I missed the page. Keep thinking in silence. Hey, can I borrow page nine from you guys real quick? There's no page nine? Cool. Um, that's a really good point. That's a really good point, guys. Hmm what to do. <laughs> Switch up. Wicka, wicka. Um, okay. So I know this is in the back. I'm going to run and get it. This is awkward, but I'm going to wait for God, and you're going to wait for God. So I'll be right back. Let's wait it out.
It's worth the wait, trust me. All right. As you're right right now, where was I? As you've been waiting right now, um, this is what I really want us to think about this morning. This quote right here. Eagles do not go in flocks. If you want to mount up as an eagle, you must be willing to go alone. So you never see eagles in flocks. They're always willing to go alone. So the most deafening silence anyone has ever known was the silence Jesus experienced from his father in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was betrayed by Judas. Do y'all remember that scene? Jesus pleaded three times with the Father in heaven. If there's any other way, if there's any other way, Please make it so. I don't want to do this. If there's any other way, I, I can't handle these circumstances. Jesus was so distressed, he was sweating blood as he prayed. I mean, can you imagine? He was sweating blood. He was so distressed by his circumstances. And then something happened. He went from that silence, then Jesus, Jesus willingly stood up alone, and then he stepped back into the noise. He stepped back into the noise. He, he stepped into the betrayal of the chief priests and the elders. He stepped into the trial with the crowd shouting for Jesus' death. He stepped into the torture and the torment of the soldiers beating him. And he stepped into the mockery and ridicule of carrying and mounting a cross. And then the noise is gone and it's silent again. He's hanging there, bruised and beaten, waiting for the Father. I don't even think that enduring the physical and emotional pain of the cross was the main reason Jesus pleaded with the Father to make another way. I don't think that's what it was. What it was was Jesus knew that he would experience death and separation for the first time. Something in his own strength he couldn't even endure because he's been in perfect harmony and shalom and love and mercy with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's been perfect, and he's going to willingly separate himself from that. He couldn't handle it. The Son of God couldn't handle it. I mean, think about that. It's too much. Yet there Jesus was, weak and weary, waiting on the Father for his surpassing strength, and it came there in the garden, supplying him the strength that he needed to complete the specific task given to him to accomplish. It came because he got up. He told his disciples to wake up. He told them what was about to happen when Judas walked up. And then he took this journey towards Damascus, all for our sake, but through the strength of the Father that supplied him 
with everything he needed to complete his journey. And Jesus' sustaining hope and strength for the cross is the same. It's the same for ours today. The Lord is is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He's created everything. And God does not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, we cannot fathom. We cannot even understand because he knows everything. Right? And he increases the power of the weak, not the strong. He gives strength to the weary, not the powerful ones. And as we've seen over and over, men and women fall in their own strength because no one is strong enough. We see those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. The Lord will renew the strength of those who wait and seek the Lord. He promises that. And you will soar in the good times. And you will run, not get weary. And then you will continue to walk foot after foot as God gives you enough strength to keep going because he won't leave you or forsake you. That's the great news of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, it's okay to be weak because you've made us weak and you've made us dependent. I don't believe that. I feel like I have to have it together. I have to be strong enough. But that's not the case. It's a lie that I tell myself. It's a lie that I believe. You give strength to the weak and the weary, the ones who will admit it, who will come to you and say, God, I don't want to pursue my own things anymore because I can't. I'm too tired. I'm too over this. It's too overwhelming. Yet you supply everything. You supply everything for those that come to you for their strength, to come to you for your comfort. And you even supplied us a way to come back to you when there was no way we could do it. Because you sent your son to us. And Jesus willingly took on the silence of eternity, the separation from God, experienced the horror of the cross, the horror of death that was our cause, that we created for us, so that when we place our faith in you, that we're saved. Not just for eternity and in the future, but for now. That you will hear us now. It's amazing. Help us to give you our burdens. You died on the cross for our burdens. You died on the cross to take our trials and tribulations. But your goal, God, is not to take it all away from us, but to change us so that we can have joy in suffering. How is it true that we can willingly be content and have peace and joy in the hardest of circumstances? That when missionaries across the world who have died will say, I hope the fire that they burned me in is a light to the world. 
What kind of faith is that? What kind of peace is that? It's a supernatural one, and it's one that only you can provide. Because no human is strong enough. None of us are strong enough. So as we take communion today, Lord, help us to remember that you hanging on the cross, the, the silence that you endured for us, shows that you love us and care for us when we experience silence from you. And that you fulfill your promises, that you will resurrect us in your timing. Make our burdens light only because we're living in your strength. You don't have to change our circumstances. If you do or don't, we're going to give praise because you alone are holy and worthy of our praise and adoration. Help us to be thankful this morning for the the silence because it draws us closer and nearer to you. In your name we pray, amen.